so glad that you are here. Welcome to the Preston Crest Church of Christ. Welcome to Telling the Story. My name is Jacob Hawk. I am privileged to serve as one of the ministers here at Preston Crest, and I've been privileged to be the director of this year's conference. We are so glad that you are here. Your presence honors us, and we know it will glorify God, and we are confident that it will encourage you this weekend. If you haven't noticed, we've had perfect weather all week, and so we, we haven't had to worry about that at all. And now that the uh, perfect weather continues into the weekend, we're glad that we can be together. If you have not done so already, if you would, please check in at the welcome tables before you leave tonight. That's how we know that you're here. If you've registered for lunch tomorrow, dinner tomorrow, or both, you will receive your tickets for the meals at that time. Also, if you don't mind, go ahead and grab one of these programs that we have printed for you. These are not classified documents. <laughs> they are for you to have and for you to enjoy. They will tell you about all of the classes tomorrow, where they meet, what times. There is also on the program, if you will notice, there is a QR code that we have put on there that we would ask you sometime through the day tomorrow, if you would, please take that survey. Your feedback is very important to us. We want to know what you think went well this year and how we can improve next year because we do pray that by the grace of God that this will be an annual event. If you are already taking that survey and critiquing us before this program begins, aren't you kind? <laughs> if you are looking where you should take your children, if you'll go down to the north end, if you registered for child care, Rebecca Sutton, our wonderful children's minister, and her team will help you through that process and where you need to go to do that. We have created also through the QR code, and you'll see it on different tables tomorrow throughout the building. If you take pictures of this conference, if you will upload them to social media, whatever site you choose with the hashtag telling the story 2023, we would appreciate that. You can also put your pictures in a large website that has been created to remember this weekend. 
Now, to the real reason that we're here, you would not be here tonight if you did not care about the kingdom. On a Friday night in Dallas, Texas, to have this many people is a testament to you. And it's a beautiful testament to our loving Father in heaven. We have people here from California. I met two gentlemen just a few moments ago from Missouri, Florida, Arkansas, Oklahoma. We even have some people here tonight from Dallas. (laughs) And we are glad that you made the trip here. We hope that you are blessed by our time together. I know you remember the story well when God through his grace and through his power and his divine providence brought two men together, a man named Philip and a eunuch who was searching for the meaning of life. And as Luke records that story for us in Acts chapter 8, he tells us a little bit about what that Bible study looked like. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And that's why we are here this weekend. And so we can become better, more confident, more convicted in ways that we can tell others about the good news of Jesus. When Jesus would heal people, he would often tell them, I want you to go home to your village, to your neighborhood, wherever you live. And I want you to tell people what the Lord has done for you. As we all know, the last few decades have been difficult for many churches of Christ. We say that COVID was not easy on the church, and it wasn't, but truth be told, COVID just sped up a problem that had already started. We haven't been growing for some time, and I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. I want to read stories and read articles and hear good news about how the church of our Lord in our nation is growing again. And we know that the plan of Jesus has never changed. For the church to grow the best way, the most wholesome way, Jesus says, my people, my disciples must make more disciples. And that's why we're here. Your presence honors us, and we are most appreciative that we can be together this weekend. I'm going to ask one of our wonderful elders. We have 12 wonderful men who shepherd this congregation, Don Witt, to come and lead us in our opening prayer for the conference. And after Brother Witt leads our prayer, we will join together with some more worship from our great worship leader, John Scott Davis, and in a few moments, I will come back and I'll introduce our speaker tonight, Brother Gibbs. Don? Thank you. 
Well, on behalf of the elders, thank you for being here. We are blown away by the attendance and so encouraged by it, and we hope that each and every one of you will be as well. We're excited about the weekend, and we are looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us. The Word says in Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's do that now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather here today. Thank you for protecting us as we traveled, providing us with this opportunity to meet and learn and grow. As we begin our conference, Father, we dedicate this time to you. We pray for the, each presenter, each attendee, and all the volunteers that are involved who made this conference possible. We ask for your guidance and your wisdom and your support to do the work you've set out before us. Pray, Father, that you will help to encourage and then help us to engage in meaningful discussion and allow us to grow closer as a group and nurture the bonds of our community. Help us to gain a new boldness and confidence to share your story of love, mercy, grace, and salvation. Thank you in advance for blessing our time together. We ask that there will be a great outpouring of spirit here. Thank you, Father, for every seat that's been filled here today. For each mind and heart that fills the presence of this room, we thank you. You and only you truly know what will be accomplished from this weekend and beyond, Father. And we have ideas and we have visions and we have talents, abilities, and we have time to work. However, only you know and can see in perfect detail the end of every beginning, every project, every season, every life. Your righteousness transcends all our efforts and understanding. Our prayer today is that, you, that your will will be done through this event and that you will take what we've prepared and multiply our efforts as only you can. Father, we pray that you will steer our intentions to align with your righteous will. Keep us physically safe, Father, and guard our hearts and minds from pride and selfishness, Father, and keep love at the forefront of our minds today and the guiding light for all that we set out to accomplish and celebrate this weekend. But above all, Father, may all the glory go to you. And it's in your Son's holy and blessed name we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's stand and let's sing this evening. Come we that love the Lord and let Three. 
Amen. Thank you, John Scott, for leading us. We are privileged tonight to have our opening speaker, Brother Shelton Gibbs III, originally from Ardmore, Oklahoma. He is a third-generation pulpit minister. Both grandfathers were pioneer ministers, and his father served at the Stop Six Church of Christ for 50-plus years. Shelton, in like manner, has been in ministry for 50-plus years and currently serves as the resident retired minister at the Greenville Avenue Church of Christ. Resident retired minister. How do you get a title like that? (laughs) Life goals for any minister, resident retired minister. He and his wife, Jeanette, have four children and 10 beautiful grandchildren. Tonight, Shelton's going to bless us with a message about telling of Christ's love. We are in for a blessing. Let's welcome Shelton Gibbs. Thank you. I'd like to thank Brother Hawk for the invitation to be a part of this first conference telling the story and I am just curious as to how I got on this conference and who 
recommended me to be a part. When I think of so many others that you had the ability to choose to be a part, I am really honored that I was thought of and I am a part here tonight. I am one who is blessed because I come to you having uh, graduated from Southwestern Christian College, which is predominantly black. And I graduated from Abilene Christian College, which was predominantly white. So I come to you in black and white, <laughs> certified. I am grateful to have my wife with me, my son, and uh, many of the, and several of the members from the Greenville Avenue Church of Christ are here, and it's just a joy to look out and to see them. It's good to see this good number and who, if this is the first, I know that Brother Hawk and those who uh, were responsible for planning this great uh, conference, you're happy to see uh, the turnout here tonight. And I am encouraged by your presence here tonight as well. I've been asked to speak. And the good thing about being first is it can't help but to get better. <laughs> Telling of Christ's love. When I speak of love. I'm talking about divine love. The love that God has asked of his people to share with all men. It's a love that when it is shown, there is no merit to be found in its object. Many will say that this love is unconditional. But I hope to show you that not only is it unconditional, but there are some conditions that have to come with it. It is a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that seeks the good of another and not its own. So when I speak to you tonight concerning Christ's love, you have to keep that in mind. You know, in John's gospel, when we speak in terms of the conference telling Christ's love, I could not help but to think of a woman who encountered the love of Jesus. And after encountering his love, it changed her whole life's perspective. She came with one intention, but she left with another. This leads me to a passage of Scripture that I want you to share with me. In John chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 27. And I want to read to you what John says about this woman. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him, speaking of Jesus, 
talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see. Notice she didn't say, let me tell you of a man that I met. He impressed her so that he said to them, she said to them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. When I think in terms of this particular story concerning this woman, we all know that this is the story of the Samaritan woman. And we understand that when we read this story, I'm going to divide it into three divisions. The first is telling the love of Christ in terms of his mission. And secondly, what I want to do is show you the love of Christ, Christ's love for mankind. And the last thing that I'm going to do tonight is to show you his love for his media, media, um, mediatorial role, being a mediator for mankind. When you look at his mission, going back to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. I like the King James because it says he must needs go through Samaria. I believe that when he uses the word must, he's speaking of necessity. He's speaking of compulsion. He's speaking of destiny. When you look at this, you see that Jesus was driven to go through Samaria. But he was driven to go through Samaria for the sake of mission, a mission that was given to him by his father. He understood that Samaria needed the gospel just like the people in Judea and just like the people in Galilee. And so when John writes this gospel, he wants to make sure that this is included to show Jesus was mission-oriented. He was driven by what he had to do. And that's why many times within this gospel and many times within his ministry, he will use the word must. In John 9 and verse number 4, after the healing of the blind man, 
He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. He says that this is my mission, to heal. It is part of the divine purpose for which God has sent me. On another occasion, in John 10, verse number 16, he will say, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold, and there shall be one shepherd. Notice the word must again. And then when you look at John 20 and verse number 8 and 9, when the disciples had gone into the sepulcher and, and realized that the sepulcher was empty, here's what the Bible says concerning them. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again. When I think in terms of sharing the love of Christ, there is absolutely no way that we can share the love of Christ without understanding that he was driven by mission. You and I need to understand that many times this is what's missing with our evangelistic thrust and our evangelistic opportunities is that we don't have that divine must involved in our response to what God has called us. But then when I look at this idea of mission, why is it that he says that I must go through Samaria? I want to hasten to say to you that when you think in terms of mission, we're talking about a divine blueprint that God had given him. We're talking about a scheme, a design. It is what some would call the divine two-post. There are a lot of people in religion today who don't want to see mission as being driven by a pattern, being driven by something that has been already schematically brought into one's mind and one's being. But I hear a scripture that I know is true in Hebrews 10 and verse number 7. Then listen to the Hebrew writer as he quotes from Psalm 40. He says, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. In other words, Jesus understood that his mission was guided by Scripture. He said, what I am doing, I am doing because it is recorded in Scripture. So many times we need to see that you cannot share the love of Christ. You cannot share Christ's love if you are not pointing people toward the Scripture. His whole mission was driven by Scripture. It was driven by what is written. And so I am saying to us as we go into this conference, understand that you cannot have Christ and his love without Scripture. Jesus is dedicated to Scripture. Jesus fulfills Scripture. And you and I must understand that with this, we're driven by compulsion. We're driven by the fact that we must do what God has asked us to do. And I'm telling you that Samaria was not just an ordinary place. 
It was not just another place. Samaria had some significance. For Jesus to say that I must go through, that meant that there perhaps was some who saw this as not a place that one who is a Jew should go through. But here's what I am saying to us in this conference, that mission demands that the love of Christ have no borders. You and I are going to have to understand that it's beyond our comfort zone. It's beyond our own territory. The love of Christ, Christ's love must be shared where there are no borders. Every city, every town has a Jerusalem, a Judea, and a Samaria. And the love of Christ is to be shared across geographical borders. We must not allow crisis at the border to hinder, deter, or impede Christ's love. We're going to have to broaden and understand that there is a need geographically over this entire world. When I think in terms of my lesson tonight, not only is the love of Christ driven by mission, which is dedicated to Scripture, but his love is a love for mankind. Listen to verse number 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, and this is what's interesting, for she says to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, I want you to get this. She did not say Samaritans do not associate with Jews. She said Jews do not associate with Samaritans. When you look at this passage, Jesus is trying to help those of us in his mission, John in his declaration of his great work, is trying to show us that if we're going to share the love of Christ, we have to broaden our vision above just those within our own race. We're going to have to understand that when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ is not with color. It's colorblind. It is cultural blind. You and I know that Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds. They were half-Jew and they were half-Gentile. Not only was this a lesson concerning um, the idea of culture and race, but it was also showing 
that gender. Because even in Jewish culture, women were to be seen and not heard. They were not to engage publicly. But Jesus is, is, is going against culture. He's going against what is the norm from the vantage point of men and showing that his love is broader than that. And if we're going to be successful in telling the story, we're going to have to become colorblind. We're going to have to learn that the Lord wants the church to grow among all ethnicities. And you and I must see this. All women, all cultural differences must be erased when it comes to the love of Christ and Christ's love. You know, I think in terms of Peter, Peter had become a Christian. Peter was an apostle. And this is something that has to be taught over and over again. I dare say that the problem that, that this woman had with Jesus is a problem that extended beyond Jesus' establishing the church, and I believe that it is a problem even today. And you and I are going to have to learn this lesson and we're going to have to learn this lesson enough to graduate and understand that unless we get past these barriers, that the kingdom of God will not grow and it will not continue. You remember Peter, uh, the apostle had to be taught when Cornelius was in need of salvation and was told to send men to Joppa and ask for one whose surname is Peter, for he lodged one Simon of Tana who was by the seaside. And the Lord knew that I have to work with Peter. And he gave him a vision and let down a net, a, a sheet from heaven that had all types of wild reptiles and animals on it that were forbidden by Jewish people. And then the Lord commanded and said, Rise, Peter, and eat. And Peter said, No, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. And the Lord said to Peter, said, what I have cleansed, don't you dare call uncommon or unclean. The church is going to have to lead out. Many times we wait for other uh, religious groups and other entities and the government to lead out. But I just believe that until the church understands its mission and understands the love of Christ is beyond the cultural barriers and the racial barriers. And I'm not expecting to get a lot of amens, but I just said something there. <laughs> amen, amen. You know, Brother Keeper used to say, well, not Brother Keeper, but some of the old preachers say, amen, walls and lights. <laughs> you know, I just, I, well, I don't want to get off onto that. Let me stay with my lesson. But I am telling you the truth. I have to deal with it. When I walked in, when I walked in, I was looking for somebody like me. And I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable when I saw someone else who had the same race that I have. I felt more comfortable. But I just believe that until God gets us to the point that it's not about color, 
It's not about race. And until we demonstrate what God has asked us to do, we never will be able to grow the church of our Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus had to move that conversation. And this helped me, and I hope it'll help you. Move it out of the physical and move it to the spiritual. Jesus said to this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He got her attention then. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whosoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to, here it is, eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is moving her from the outward to the inward. He's moving her from the body to the soul. He's moving her from the terrestrial to the eternal. He's moving her from the flesh to the spirit. And I am just believing that Christ is in another realm and he wants us to get to another realm. And when we do, ladies and gentlemen, I just believe that God will be blessed. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 and verse number 8. He said, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to him. Until we get on the very uh, plain realm of understanding that Jesus is, as he talks to this woman, she is looking fleshly, he's looking spiritually, She's looking ethnically. He's looking from the standpoint of those who are spiritual. And when you become Christians, ladies and gentlemen, we know one another no longer after the flesh, but after the spirit. You know, Brother Hawk, once I got past the fact that you were a white man, and realized that I'm talking to a spiritual individual. Then I was able to move past and I got comfortable because I understood that this is a spiritual gathering and not one that is built upon the mores and on the cultural standards of the world. The church of our Lord is very important. And then as I close, the love of Christ is not only seen as it is involving the love of mission, the love 
of all mankind, crossing out racial barriers, geographical barriers, but his love is one that is of mediator, one who is intercessory. And this is where Jesus is recognizing and moving this woman to the fact that he is the Messiah. He's moving her to the point that I am not just another person. John 4, 16, notice what he says. He said he told her, you want some of this water? Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five, and the man you now have is not yours. You, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where, the, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Watch him move her. He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Watch him get back to the mission. He says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a divine must in our response to his intercessory and the fact that he is the mediator of the sins of the world. There's a must that goes along with that. And then the woman said, she said, I know that Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said and declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So here I see him showing that he is the mediator. He is the Messiah. He is the one who serves as intercessory for the sins of men. He wanted that woman to see her sin so that he could understand, so she could understand that living water comes in order to free us from our sin. I'm here to tell you tonight, as I close, that Jesus speaking to her was giving her living water. For I heard Jesus say, the Spirit gives life, the flesh has nothing to give. It counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, he said, they are full of spirit and they are full of life. I know that Jesus' love is about saving men in their sins and saving men from their sins. The parable of the lost coin, notice the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son proves this because he was accused of keeping company with tax collectors and keeping company with sinners. But Jesus gave the parable showing that if a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one, he would leave the 99 in the wilderness and go and find and search until he found that one sheep that was lost. 
And then there would be rejoicing because of that one sheep that is lost. When we get to the point in our outreach where we are concerned about one and not just the 99, then I believe that we will be on our way to having the Spirit of Christ. One individual, the coin speaks to the same, and the lost son speaks to the same, that God is interested in saving men from their sins. When I think in terms of the Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, notice what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 15. He said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I believe some of us would probably feel like maybe I'm the worst. You say you're the worst, but maybe I am the worst. But here's what he says. He says, but I want you to know that I am the worst. I am chief of sinners. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I believe the parable shows us that he is interested in saving men from their sin. I believe that him going to this woman and showing that I will speak to a woman, I'll speak to a woman who had five husbands and the one she's with now, she's only shacking with him and it's not hers. I want to show you that I am interested in saving those that are sinners. We have to understand that the cross of Christ is about saving men from their sins. As I close, listen to Romans 5. Paul sums it up in verse number 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Now, I shouted on that, but I'm going to really shout on verse number 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, the cross is the greatest testimony of Christ's love. Since we have now been justified by his blood, but then he says, now how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we have, shall we be saved through life, through his life? You know, I thought about that. Sometimes I, I really have difficulty with my own shortcomings and my own uh, I, I just said my own sin. And I recognize that a lot of times that in dealing with it that I just forget that Jesus came. And while I was in sin, he died. If he was willing and his love extended to that point that he would go on the cross while I was still in my sins, I have to believe that he loves me enough to see me to the end. 
And so every morning I get up, and I know that, that sometimes people want to always remind you of what you've done wrong and the sin, but I don't get up in the morning remembering the sin. I know that the blood of Christ, the same blood that was shed to save us from our sin is the same blood that every day continues to cleanse me from my sin. And so I never get down on myself to the point that I give up and think that God does not have the power to save me in the midst of where I am. And that's what we have to tell people in the world. Sometimes we'll take two steps forward and one step backward. Sometimes we'll take two steps forward and three steps backwards. But I'm here to tell you that we're going to have to let people know that the blood of Christ is the thing that speaks to the love of Christ. And uh, let's take the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's what he says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Notice he said, I want you to go and teach all nations because I demonstrated to you my love for all nations. And then he says in Mark 16, 16, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Thus it is written, thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name among all nations. Among all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, God wants us to know that there's always a, there's always a Samaria. Notice in his commission, before he went back to heaven, he said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea. Then he said, in Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world. We're going to have to understand that this gospel is necessary. And in my last statement, I'm glad that there was a gentleman many years ago in Tampa, Florida, who heard Marshall Keeple tell the story. And he kept it within the framework of Scripture. This gentleman who believed that he was already experiencing the love of God once the Scripture was explained and how important it is that the love of Christ must be congruent with the Scripture. He understood that he was in error and he left the religious group that he was with and began to teach and preach and tell the story of Jesus Christ. He had a son and his son because of his response to Christ preached over 50 years in that same wonderful truth telling the story. He had a son and his son continued to preach and over 50 years he too is telling the story. And then he had a son <laughs> and now his son at 42 his son, 942, a district judge, has more in tune with telling the story of Jesus than any story that could ever be told. 
You say, who was that? That was my grandfather. And I stand here today because of the love of Christ. And I stand here today because that story made a difference in his life. And that's what we have to see, that when you tell it right, it impacts so many generations to come. May God bless you, and may God keep you. Thank you. All right, thank you. Let's thank Brother Gibbs again for a wonderful message tonight. That's powerful, brother. When you tell it right, it makes a difference for generations to come. And that's why we're here this weekend. I did not become a Christian because of Marshall Keeble. But a man who influenced my life in a big way is here tonight. I was blessed to grow up with the preaching of Robert Oglesby. Thank you, Robert. We could just go home right now and call it a weekend. But we worked way too hard to do that, so we're not going to do that. But thank you. Thank you for being here and for blessing us the way that you did. I want to go through just a few items of housekeeping for you to know for tomorrow. Again, if you did not grab a program in the foyer, please grab one of those. Now, listen carefully. There is one program in here that we stuffed a $100 bill in. <laughs> Open it up, see if you have it. We didn't do that, but now you're looking at it. So now that you're, now that you're looking at the program, if you will look at all of the classes there tomorrow, they are spread out all throughout the day. Preston Crest, if you're not from Preston Crest, we own the building across the street. The majority of the classes are going to be over there tomorrow. The ladies' track is in the second floor of this building. You'll see signs posted where you need to go for that. We have over 730 people registered as of tonight. We have six classes that are meeting each hour. So this is my friendly reminder for you and to you. Get there early because you may have a hard time finding a seat. We know that we have some excellent teachers, excellent class options, but you do need to get there before classes begin if you want to have a seat. Tomorrow morning at 8.15, we are going to have some donut holes and coffee, and that period of fellowship will run until 8.45. Now, again, there's over 730 people registered. I ordered 2,000 donut holes. <laughs> if you are that guy that eats four or five donut holes, may God have mercy on your soul. Because we will probably run out. So come and enjoy a donut hole or two <laughs> and a cup of coffee. 
Speaking of water and coffee, we have 16 different adult classes that meet on Sunday mornings here at Preston Crest. All of these classes have their own budgets, which they buy their own coffee. So please do not grab the coffee or water bottles in those classrooms. Rather, when you get here tomorrow, there will be coffee in the kitchen. And over at Preston Place in the foyer, there's a welcome table. It looks just like this one. There will be coffee and water served there all day. So please respect that and grab coffee and water whenever you might need to do that. We hope that you will visit our vendors out in the foyer. We have some fine folks here from Harding University, Freed Hardman University, hear about their ministries and how you can learn more about those programs. I am disappointed to say that Brother Howard Norton, who is scheduled to speak tomorrow evening at 7 p.m., had to cancel this week. His wife, Jane, is not feeling well. He needed to stay back with her, and we respect that decision. Randy, when you lead prayer in just a moment, if you'll please pray for Jane Norton. So that means tomorrow after the dinner, Paul Sherrill is going to speak to us and encourage us about ministry. After the dinner tomorrow night at about 6.30, we will dismiss for the day. There will be no 7 o'clock keynote, but everything else will go just on as schedule, as you see there in your program. Now, if you are not from Dallas-Fort Worth, this will not mean much to you, but we have a weatherman in Dallas-Fort Worth whose last name starts with the letter D, ends in an Elkis. <laughs> and Mr. Delkis may tell you tonight that there could be a frost fog in the morning. He's just telling you that because he's jealous that he's not at this conference. <laughs> we are not concerned about the roads tomorrow. We have a gentleman here named Jim Wall who has worked all day clearing out our parking lots, clearing out this road on Preston Crest Lane. I don't know if Jim is in here, but let's give Jim a round of applause if he can hear us. We want to make sure that the sidewalks and the street and the parking lot is safe for you. They have been sanded. They have been prepared. And we believe when you get here in the morning at 8.15 to enjoy a donut hole that everything will be melted off and you have nothing to worry about. But we will make sure that you're taken care of. Before we finish tonight, there's one other group that I want to thank. I want to thank our eldership for believing in this. We've been working on this for several months. I asked them several times, do we want to have a collection or some way to make ends meet? And every time their answer was no. We want this to be free. We want this to bless churches. We have a very generous and gracious eldership here at Preston Crest. Let's thank them for their generosity. Last item, if you are headed tomorrow from Preston Place over to the main building for the keynote or for a ladies' class upstairs, please do not use this north entrance, which comes into our children's wing. We want to protect our beautiful and innocent children, so that door will be locked. Uh, don't try to get into it because you won't be able to. So just go around the sidewalk, down the parking lot. You can enter through the east or the south doors. But this door on the north end will not be open to the public so we can protect our children. 
We are so glad that you're here tonight. We look forward to tomorrow, what God's going to do. Don't run off. Enjoy fellowship. It's good to be together. The lights will be on as long as you're here. We can't wait to see you in the morning. If you have any questions through the night or tomorrow morning, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. John Scott, if you will, let's lead one more song, and Randy Tucker, one of our elders, will close us out in prayer. Let's stand. We're going to sing uh, just that chorus of blessed assurance. This is my story. pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne tonight, Father, declaring your glory, your majesty, and your power. Father, tonight we're mindful of our sister Jane Norton, and we ask that you be with her and those that are providing care to her, that she'll return to her health. Father, thank you for the opportunity of providing us to hear your word preached tonight. For Brother Gibbs and his outstanding presentation tonight, Father, and his lifetime of service in your kingdom, we ask that you continue to bless him in the days ahead. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to come together tonight. May our time be blessed and bring about a revival in your people. Father, help us to have a heart for others and to share the good news. Father, we ask that you'll continue to bless each person who's going to participate over the weekend, provide them safety as they go back to their places tonight and protection. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.